Let me just take the jacket. Octopus was weak. Call me Doctor Octopus. Rebellion. We're poison to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. We're Venom. Green Goblin doesn't take orders from insects. The Green Goblin swaps them into oblivion. It's a conspiracy, I tell you. They're all working together to raise my blood pressure. Tell me there's something better. Go ahead, try. Welcome back. Once again, to another episode of The Spectacular Radio. I'm your friendly neighborhood webmaster of spidey-dude.com, Zach Joyner, and I am, of course, joined by the host of The Spectacular Radio, Mr. Greg Vashansky. Hi. Also joining us is uh, Gerard Delatour, Mayday Mondays. Get on that. <laughs> Coming soon to an FBI watch list near you. <laughs> yeah. Not... Not joining us this month is Kristen. She's off. She's probably off stabbing people who are attacking Boston, or threatening to stab your friendly neighborhood webmaster. One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, a lot of people threaten to stab you. It's hard to keep track. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a stab count on the uh, on the interwebs. So, Greg, what episode are we going to be discussing this time? We are discussing episode nine of the series, The Uncertainty Principle, named after Heisenberg's Uncertainty I knew it! I was waiting for it. Insert your own Breaking Bad joke. I was, <laughs> you know, honestly, as soon as I saw the title, I'm like, how soon until a Breaking Bad joke from Greg? <laughs> and we are what? Third, or what, 20 seconds into the episode? No, we're a minute and 45. Okay. Hey, if Jack Bertoni was here also, he'd be making them with me. Yes. So, um... Greg, let's uh, let's give a rundown of this episode and kind of discuss and kind of give the synopsis, if you will. All right. On the night before Halloween, Green Goblin gasses and kidnaps Hammerhead, taking him to a steel mill. The Goblin tries to convince him to join its ranks, but Hammerhead refuses. His loyalty lies solely with the big man, Tombstone. Later, Goblin confronts Tombstone and, and claims that he he's stolen a jump drive from Hammerhead that can put Tombstone tombstone in prison, declaring that he can have it back from him that that night if he meets him at an obvious trap. And he flies off in his glider. Spidey spots him, and they begin to fight. Goblin reveals he possesses a jump drive stolen from Hammerhead, and that he can have it later if he meets him tonight at a very obvious track, trap before getting away. Spidey catches up to him and notices that the Goblin has flown into the Osborne penthouse. Sneaking in, he spots Norman coming out of a secret passageway and theorizes that Norman is the goblin. Spidey is forced to slip out after Harry walks in and misses Harry drinking the globulin green. A short while later, Peter Parker calls Harry and invites him to the Bleecker Street Halloween Carnival, also because he wants to talk to him at Gwen's insistence about his little problem. Harry says he'll meet him there later. On its way to the carnival, Peter tries to sell Spider-Man photographs to J. Jonah Jameson, but Jameson refuses and tells him to sell them to the Globe. They're celebrating John Jameson, who has just landed on Earth after a very potentially deadly impact by a meteorite up in space. The, the Goblin breaks into Oscorp while Norman Osborn is inside checking his uh, 
computer, and he steals its inhibitor prototype, which he later calls his gobwebs. Peter arrives at the carnival, still dressed as Spidey, but everyone assumes it's just him in a costume and applauds him for it, except for Flash Thompson, who is dressed as a cheerleader along with the rest of the football gang, who is joining him in a show of unity. Peter slips out after spotting fireworks caused by the goblin erupting in the sky. He follows them to the steel mill where he finds Tombstone. The two enter together and find the goblin that's hammerhead suspended over a vat of molten metal. The goblin reveals that the jump drive is a fake. Of course, everybody already knew this was a trap. Goblin readjusts his focus on Tombstone and Spidey, who are forced to team up to fight the villain. While accusing Goblin of being Norman Osborn, Spidey fires one of the villain's pumpkin bombs and injures the goblin's leg. The goblin escapes on his glider, and Spidey follows him to the Osborn apartment. An injured goblin takes off his mask and is revealed to be Harry. Harry collapses, and Norman and Peter agree to arrange the goblin's disappearance while taking Harry on an extended leave from school so he can receive the help he needs to get over his addiction. The next day, Peter learns that MJ has transferred to his high school, while John Jameson discovers a uh, sinister moving piece of black goop on the side of his shuttle. I wonder what that could be. A horrible 80s villain? <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Mr. Delator. I agree with him. <laughs> we are the Venom. Yeah, not a fan. That was Schmeagel. I don't know why Schmeagel became Venom. <laughs> well, neither Schmeagel nor Venom have anything to do with this episode, so. Yeah, I actually. No. Uh, so let's go with uh, let's go with Greg this time. Okay, I think this might be the darkest episode of the series today. There's a lot of light, fun moments, but that moment at the end in the Osborne penthouse is dark as crap. I'm editing my language, Zach. I hope you noticed. I did, and I appreciate it. I mean, even, I mean, there's just, that scene works on so many layers, and we'll continue to work on even more layers later on, but this episode is, I, I don't know, I, I, think, I thought the fight scene between the Goblin and Spidey was one of the show's best fight scenes. It was very kinetic. I also love that homage to the cover of ASM 39. Did you all spot that? I'm sorry, I, my mind was drifting for a second. What did you just say? Did he spot the homage to uh, the cover of Amazing oh, Spider-Man yeah. 39? Yeah, it was telegraph. It was really obvious. <laughs> I know, I love that. I mean, the I enjoy a lot of dialogue. I like Tombstone and Spidey both saying trap before they walk into it. And uh, mm -hmm. this also changes Tombstone and Hammerhead's relationship forever. They, these two guys, these two criminals trusted each other. And Hammerhead looked almost hurt that Tombstone even believed that this jump drive that the Goblin was talking about existed. He's like, what, you, you actually fell for that? Mm -hmm. And this might set up trouble between them later, or maybe not, but... I thought this was a very intense episode. There's a lot of moments in it I really like, and um, I remember it was a bit of an anecdote related to this episode. I've talked in the past about those urinals at the hotel that we had to gather in 2008 in, and Wisen pointed out that the urinals sounded like the Green Goblin's pumpkin bombs, and a friend of mine said, you know, that scene where the uh, all the pumpkin bombs come crashing into the refinery, we should go down to the bathrooms and try to see if we can replicate that sound. <laughs> Okay. That's awesome. That's just awesome. <laughs> we didn't actually do it, but we talked about doing that. Weak. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of really big moments in this episode. I mean, I think this is the first appearance, no, it's the second appearance of Hammerhead's chauffeur, who's a badass. Granted, she gets knocked out by the goblin, but another badass is the door to the Hammerhead's limousine, which knocks out or knocks down a lot of villains, I mean, <laughs> over the course of the series. 
Mm-hmm. And there's some great moments. I mean, uh, I thought that cheer the uh, football team dresses cheerleaders is great. And oh, one of our fr- dear friend Jennifer L. Anderson's great contributions to the series, the squeaky boobs on Flash. She demanded that squeak when they were doing the episode and edits, and they put it in. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> because that's your lasting contribution there, Anderson. Good job. Squeaky boobs. <laughs> There's a few others, but that's the the funny one. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm just kidding, Jen. Don't hurt me. <laughs> She's a ball buster. She'll hurt you. She will break you in the face. Ah. Anyway, let's uh, move on to Mr. Delacour. Well, uh, Greg, are you done? Get it. I am done. I'm sure I'll have more to say as you talk, but go on. Okay. Um, uh, I don't, right off the bat, the first thing that popped to my head when I started watching this again was, wow, that was quick for another Goblin episode. Because what's it been, like? Two episodes. It's, it's only been two episodes since that, and this is the first time we've gotten a repeat villain, right? Well, this is kind of his arc. Right. But at the same time, that was kind of quick. I was like, oh, that's disappointing. Because I'm not a fan of the Green Goblin in general. I don't know. What? <laughs> yes, I just said it. Come on, Zach. You've heard me say this before, which I kind of am annoyed by the Green Goblin. You oh, okay. No, no, no. Now, let me be clear. I love the Green Goblin, like, up through about, like, 2005. I like, yeah, that I like the Green Goblin up until 1973 when he was supposed to stay dead. <laughs> so we're gonna have a. So is this is this a teaser preview for the battle royale of Spider-Man 75? Possibly. Oh. <laughs> we ever will get to that. We will have wards with thee. In a few years, when we get there. <laughs> Don't say that, Bishansky. <laughs> long, long story short. This retcon that the Green Goblin is Spider-Man's greatest villain drives me so far up the wall that I want to that I want to actually rip the wall down and throw it at someone. But anyway, that's kind of only mildly related to the show. Who's who's his greatest villain? Doctor Octopus is his greatest villain. I thought Bad Writing was his greatest villain. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got I got I'll tip my cap to you right there because that thing, yes. <laughs> oh. To me, what made this there, there are three things that made this episode. To uh, first of all, the, all the John Jameson stuff was great, especially how, the way they humanized Jonah with it. There's there's this one really great moment where uh, after the shuttle successfully lands, Jonah's sitting there in his office. He sort of mutters to himself, "He did it, my boy did it," or something along those lines, and then he just immediately snaps back into into. You know, pickle puss mode, and he immediately runs out and starts screaming at people. Fourteen seconds. That's that's perfect, Jonah, right there. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, the second thing is, I love the the interactions that the very that the kids are having at the street, the Halloween street carnival thing that's going on, which is all which is a lot of fun. The boob squeezing included. Yes, <laughs> like the costumes. I mean, um. Love MJ's costume. God, she's 16. I need to stop this. <laughs> she's 16 and animated, Greg. I just wanted to yeah. point that out. Rule although, 34. Although, <laughs> oh, it's put some money in my pocket. Um, the, the, the Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Zach. I didn't have a... This part out. This part out. 
You mean to tell me that nudity Mary Jane has put money in your pocket that's not necessarily legal? No, 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 not, not to this cartoon. Oh. Oh, but I'm saying Rule 34 in general has put money in my pocket. <laughs> I was like, whoa, let's tap the brakes here, dude. We need to have a discussion. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Exactly. Damn it, what is it with having to edit out sequences of involving me and underage girls? This is getting creepy. I'm turning into John Byrne. You um, are John Byrne. <laughs> moving on. Okay, and uh, uh, by the way, that whole street carnival thing, nice uh, early appearance of the black cat that they snuck in, in there. Oh, yeah. It's it's not a, quite a blink and you'll miss it, but it's easy to... to, to not realize that that's actually the actual black cat if you're not paying attention. I kind of wonder if she actually has stolen goods in there or if she's just uh, having fun on Halloween. Both. Or both. It's both. <laughs> it's both. It's black cat. It's both. Yeah. Yep. And uh, the third thing that works for me is the whole... It's almost two fights rather than just one. Because I consider the stuff in the factory with, you know, involving Tombstone and Hammerhead and all that to sort of be one sequence, and then when they get outside, it's just Spidey and the Goblin to be another. Well, there's a scene that separates them. Right. The inside of the factory stuff is great. That is the, some of the highlights of this this entire show in terms of uh, action, animation, and fight scenes and things like that. When they get outside, it's good. It's a typical Goblin fight, in a sense. Except for the fact that he, you know, the cr- nearly cripples the goblin, but we'll get there. And, uh, of course, they worked in that Armita Senior homage that you mentioned before. It also has, and I forgot to mention, it's one of my favorite lines in the entire series. We all wear masks, Spider-Man, but which one is real? The one that hides your face or the one that is your face? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great line. It's a great line. And Steve, and Steve Bloom's delivery is perfect. Yeah, Bloom just... Let me tell you, Bloom... Every time the Green Goblin comes on, Bloom knocks him out of the park. I'm sorry. That he does. <laughs> also, uh, gra- speaking of Steve Bloom, just one qu- quick question, because I know you'll know the answer to this. I think you already know what the question is. Is he also voicing the news reporter in this episode? Yes. Okay. I, th- it made me cock my eyebrow really quickly, because I'm like, wait, is that Bl-? But of course it makes sense. You're not going to bring in another actor just to do a line. Yeah. <laughs> he also voices Chameleon briefly in the next one. Right. Um... And the last thing, okay, we got to tiptoe around the spoilers for, for certain people in case they're watching along here, yeah. but the final reveal of the episode in in this episode works really well, in spite of the fact that it's also just an enormous cheap, which it's hard to look at now, and, hmm, what's a good way to put this? Okay, Zach, this will make sense. I don't, I don't even remember if Greg was here. I don't think he was. But remember when we reviewed, when we went on that abysmal teenage wasteland show? Oh God! <laughs> and we oh, and we God. and we reviewed the Ultimate Clone Saga. Yes. And we were talking about Ultimate Spider-Man number one hundred, and uh-huh. how I was complaining how that basically the entire thing was undone like two issues later. Yes. And that it was completely pointless. That's not the case here. Even yeah. though, it, even though, it, it, even though it's in a sense undone later, it's strong enough on its own without relying on just the gimmick of being a big reveal that it works anyway. Yeah, to, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna discuss this even further. 
and so if you don't want to, I'm going to try to avoid spoilers because for the spoiler phobic for a show that's been off the air for seven years. Um, here's the thing I love about this episode. It really does set up the, it really does do a lot more to give you more, more of the mystery. It kind of solves it, but doesn't solve it. It's very much a, a really great swerve. I will say this to watch the show in retrospect, there are some, I mean, there's obvious clues, clues that you, that, that visual clues that you have that, that, I mean, there's, a, it's, even if it's so subtle as such a smirk, like a smirk, you know, when, he, when, uh, Hammerhead and, and, and Norman are discussing things, I mean, you just, you see those things because you have the beauty of hindsight, but also, if this is your first the... exposure to Spider-Man and you have no idea what, what, who the character ends up being, then, you know, he really does a great job because if this is your first exposure to Spider-Man and you had never read the comics and you don't know anything about the character, it does a really great job. And I think that's what I like about this episode is that it, it really gives you enough clues to make you really believe that it's Harry. I mean, I remember when I watched this episode, and I was thinking, no, no, they, they didn't do that. There's no way. And I watched the episode immediately again afterwards. I was watching every little detail I could, and there's a scene. I mean, watch it when, uh, again, the scene where Norman Osborn's at Oscorp. Listen to the dialogue and the voice performance on Norman Osborn, and you can tell something's off. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely, the especially when you look at it through the prism of we've watched the entire series. It really, I mean, it just there's there is a lot of depth to it, and that's that's a testament to the direction in this episode. It's also a testament to the script of this episode and the performance by the actor. So, yeah. I mean, really, it, it's a combination of those three things. That's what makes this a really good episode. Is there's a lot of depth to it that you do not see out of the current Marvel animation stuff all the time. Although I'll say one thing, I've said this before and I'll say it again, There's, we talk about the alternate universe where there was a season three, let's talk about the alternate universe where there wasn't a season two and this is the final word on it, and at some point, considering the way fanboys would be, it would have ended up being a black eye in the series. Oh, I, I probably would have. Yeah, as, it is, as it is, a lot of people, let's be honest, the second season, not as widely known as the first season, so I'm sure there are people out there who just aren't aware of this, that the, that they ever changed this. Well, and the and the second season suffered because of the network change. We'll probably we'll get into yeah, that when we get that, into the mystery. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, it eventually did air on the CW, and it got a lot of ratings. And hey, the Blu-ray's out, but um. Yeah, not to mention the fact that it was kind of hard to hear the first. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, but okay. Now that we've we've shot a bunch of beams of light up this episode's bunghole, I do need to mention one thing about that finale that doesn't work. Which is that Osborne does not come across as sincere at all, but but Peter still buys it really easily. Which yeah, points, but well, to be fair, Harry, while not knowing it, is kind of helping Peter buy it. Yeah, well, but but the point I, is, if, Norman still has that squinty-eyed, smirky, evil-sounding voice, <laughs> and, and he's going on about like all this. I'm like. How could he? Bu- and plus, we already know that this guy is a big asshole. It's not like this. He never apologizes. I mean, I remember there were people. There were a lot of people who bought into it, and I remember one person saying, "Why can't Norman Osborn just be a good, concerned father?" I buy it, and I'm like, 
you know who this character is. Yeah. Well, here, here's my other. Here's the only thing that I would say. That would highlight Peter's Peter being naive to what's going on around him. Yeah. I mean, you gotta think. I'm, you gotta think about that. Peter's only fifteen at this point. He's still in the sixteen, but yeah, yeah, sixteen at this point. He's only he's still in the infancy of his of his career as Spider Man. So I, I kind of buy the little bit of. Uh, being naive. Uh, there's a difference between being in the infancy of your career as a superhero and not being able to just read people to the level that you miss such obvious, like, this guy is so evil, I can imagine that he has, like, this musk of evil about him, like, whenever he enters a room, that you're just like, this guy is just, like, just from, like, the way he looks and smells, I bet. You're just like, this guy is evil, <laughs> come on. We know a lot of evil people in real life. I mean, we've seen them, but at the same time, I, the way I figure it, Harry's his best friend. He's probably known Norman for for years, even if Norman is a bit distant, and you kind of don't want to believe that Norman would be capable of this. And Harry's got the limp. Norman doesn't have a limp. The Goblin had a limp. Right. But I'm not talking about that. I don't mean the whole switcheroo thing. I'm just talking about the whole, let me just leave Harry with him and ignore the aspect that we should probably be turning this guy into prison right now. Well, I think Norman's whole, if you turn him in, if the big man learns he was a goblin, he wouldn't survive the night, is a pretty big scare. I mean, it's probably true also. Yeah. Again, I don't know. It, it it comes off as being a little too trite for me. That, that's just my opinion. And and I get I get your point, and I understand it. But I think, I think in the context of the show, it's to point out that at the end of the day, Peter tries to do the right thing. And I think I think he knew that putting putting Harry in jail wasn't going to do him any favors. Would have gotten Harry killed. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a third option in there somewhere if you thought about it for a few minutes. Well, I mean, <laughs> Eddie uh, obvious Mister Business Evil. Uh, put him, put him in uh, Ravencroft. There's one. On Spider-Man's word, who's so new, he's still a kid. His parents would have to sign like uh, forms on this thing. That's not happening. Yeah, I just yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I think I think it works, but I can understand your objections to it. My other thing that I'm going to be kind of minor and nitpicky, I love. Uh, we've talked about the scene where in in the, in the refinery where it's so well done. Um, the homage to uh, ASM 39. Mm-hmm. The 90s show did it better. I'm sorry, it did. I like. <laughs> I like this show. Like, I love this show, but the '90s show. You know what? I'm going to say something a little surprising. I actually kind of agree with you. This here was a quick shot. The '90s show had an entire scene based on it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's why I think. That, yeah, I, I get their homage and I respect it, but I the the '90s show. If you're going to do a full blown homage, that scene was straight out of spectacular number two with ASM. Yeah, I, I will say, I, part of me likes to think if we'd gotten more, we would have eventually gotten a full-blown uh, recreation of that. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, if... I would have loved... I mean, that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire 90s show, where Norman is being a magnificent master. Turning Point is my favorite episode of the 90s show. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that was an awesome homage to that story. But, uh, yeah, I would have loved to see Greg, Greg tackle that, but unfortunately... Yeah. I'll say this. It's, okay, Zach. Remember when? Uh, remember during Brand New Day, where they did a, an homage to to this to that cover, in it. I think it was Phil Jimenez who drew it. 
Yes. And he and in a in one of the goofiest, most idiotic mistakes I've ever seen in, in a Spider Man comic that an artist has ever made. <laughs> he put he put a signature on, he put underneath after Ditko. Oh yeah, that was right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly. I was like, Oh no, he crashed in the landing. Oh, oh you know, I forgot I remember us talking about that, like that was so much fail. No, I, uh, I think they corrected it in the final issue. I think I, I thought uh, the no, preview art had the mistake in it. Yeah, they did. And, and like, how did my thing is is how did the copy editor, the guy that sits there and looks at the pages, how did how, how did anyone with knowledge of Spider Man that ever looked in that how, page make that mistake? Like that, that's like that's like basic fundamentals there, man. You're right. I for, I forgot about that. Yeah, they digitally wow. <laughs> Well, we just figured out what the worst homage was. My favorite homage to that cover has to have been at the end of Hobgoblin Lives Part 3. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Or Spidey as uh, Kingsley tied up. Yeah, Kingsley unmasked at last. I tell you what, I love me some Ron Friends, but man, does he, like, he, like, uh, homage that every time the Green Goblin or Hobgoblin showed up. Like, mm-hmm. poses was, like, lifted directly out of Hobgoblin. Happens all the time in Spider Girl. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the number of times you get that the the goblin face with the one eye half closed, one eye open smirk with the hands rubbing together. Oh, my God. I love it though. But I mean, I I love it too. But or the cover to ASM two fifty shows up a few times too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. No, not two fifty. Um, uh, it wasn't the cover. It was the end of one of those issues. I think the one where he first appears. What is that? Two forty. No. I know what you're crap. I can't about. remember the issue. Number. I know exactly what you're talking about. Though. Got it. Two forty-two. But um, I I I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, another yeah, another little touch. Eleven in this episode. Tombstone takes three blades to the back and keeps going. <laughs> of course he does. I mean. And, and and they were embedded in him. I mean, it's one of those moments you're watching, like, wow, they got that in here. <laughs> one, okay, I, I I you mentioned the uh, the limo truck. Two thirty eight, by the way. <clears throat> Two thirty eight. Thank you. I knew it was somewhere around there. Two thirty eight. Jr. Junior art. I remember. Yeah, uh, the chauffeur, hammerhead chauffeur. Yeah, uh, not Mercy Graves. <laughs> not Mercy Graves. She doesn't. Have- <laughs> She never has a single line of dialogue in the show. <laughs> I know, but all I could think of when she first appeared was, what is Mercy Graves doing on the Spider-Man show? Because, <laughs> my God, <laughs> she's just Mercy Graves. She's fun, though. Who's right? Mercy Graves? She's Lex Luthor's exact same uh, limo oh! bodyguard. I, I could not... I was like, yeah, the bodyguard. I was trying to freaking figure out who that was. I'm like, is that a Spider-Man character? She looks really familiar. <laughs> and, yeah, okay. okay. The ironic thing about that is, is that Wiseman would tell you he has never seen an episode of Superman the Animated Series. <laughs> I don't... I, I, I have to be honest, I don't know enough about uh, Superman's history to know if she... Did she actually debut in the cartoon, or is she... From the I think she did. I think she did, yeah. Like, Harley They, Harley. um... Now, Mercy Graves ends up becoming a... Half sister of Lex in Smallville, uh, where it's test. Were they? Wow, and they were and, and they were fucking on Superman the animated series. Yeah, 
Yeah, in the uh, in the Smallville universe, it's, uh, she's named Tess Mercer, and she's a half sister too. Well, they're from Kansas. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Quick Wikipedia check. Yes, indeed, she debuted in the cartoon and later crossed over in the comics. You're welcome, America. <laughs> um, so, Greg and Gerard have given their thoughts. I have not given my thoughts. Well, hold on. I actually need to give a grade on this one. Oh, yeah. Because, because I'm struggling with it, because I really like a lot of this episode, but something seems a little off to me. Um, no, it was a good one, though. I'll give it a B. And Greg, did you give what'd you give it? I give it an A. Well, I will um I wanna give it a B plus. I'm gonna go between you guys. I I like this episode a lot. I I thought that the I thought that the animation was uh, a little more crisp in this episode. You know, we had that funky um funky car chase scene in the previous episode. So this one I thought was a lot a lot better. The the the, the, um, the Green Goblin scenes are just really, really good. And I liked the fact that the Green Goblin was was highlighted as a big bad villain, and that we've gotten some really significant fights over these last few episodes. And I think you know this is his arc, and and the, the Harry stuff we talked about it. I thought was phenomenal. I thought that the evolution of uh, of that storyline was really well done. The fact that poor Harry has to deal with a busted up leg. Is uh is pretty pretty significant. I think that there was uh, the reveal was really well done. I like this episode a lot. I'm not gonna lie, the John Jameson stuff, uh, really really was good. But it really to me it wasn't as important as the rest of the rest of this episode. I do have to agree with Gerard though. However, the Jonas scene was phenomenal. That scene really spoke to the levity of the character and made they've set. Go on. Uh, the the standards the standard set was really really high after with Jonah this episode this is finally when Jonah starts becoming not a caricature and I think even the voice acting becomes less of a J.K. Simmons uh, impression impression and becomes more of it's it's really there in, it's in its own I think that's a testament to the writing directing and the voice acting. And I think, and, and I think this was done to sort of disarm us. They wanted us to think of Jonah as this stereotypical goofball before, which is easy to peg him as before doing this. And I thought that he set up his hatred for Spider-Man really well in this, and it's going to escalate in season two in a major way. Yeah, I think um, I, I, this really is organic, and I think that that Jonah is he's one of the he's one of the hardest characters to get right. You either go full-on into caricature, or you don't do enough. And to strike that balance is very difficult. So Jonah, let me tell you, they do a very good job with Jonah. So I have to I have to give them that props. And I think John Jameson does a phenomenal job. The voice acting, where it's close enough to Jonah, but not quite to Jonah, um, was very, is very well done in that regard. I love it. Darren Norris does great work. He does. Yeah, I should, we should also thumbs up, because uh, Darren Norris is also John Jameson, right? Yes, he is. Yes. Because John, John also has a pretty good performance in this episode. Yeah, and, I, and of, you know, I, and of course it helps that their voices are close together too. I don't know. I don't know yeah. why that that. Well, it makes things I like about sense. the character. Yeah, it makes sense that that you know if you're a father and, and you have a son, sometimes they're gonna they're gonna sound alike. I, I remember being a kid and answering the phone and 
we had this, my dad had this idiot that he worked with that always was scared of thunderstorms. He'd always call at 3 o'clock in the morning. Can you come? Can you come bail me? I just, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. Kid you not. I'll never forget. I woke up 3 o'clock in the morning, pick up the phone, hello. You know, and he literally thought I was my dad and, sp and gave me a five-minute soliloquy without a breath about how he's about to basically, essentially do, uh, just crap himself because of a thunderstorm. So, I understand having a, a voice that sounds like your dad on the phone. I do, too. I've gotten that a few times. <laughs> I look and sound nothing like my dad. <laughs> oh, I have no idea what you guys mean. Yeah, yeah. People people look at me and they're like, you look just like your dad. I was like, my father told me I'd grow out of it, but that was a pack of lies. I grew up, I grew into it. <laughs> Speaking of people who are growing into looking exactly the same, my God, Jesse! Jesse gets old; he's gonna look just like his dad. True story, right, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But anyway, well, well. All right, so uh, so we got we got an A from Greg, a B plus from, or no, a B from Gerard, and. Uh, I give it. I'm going to give it a B plus. So I think it's a solid episode all around. Definitely check it out. And if you haven't picked it up on Blu-ray, you should do it now. You know, it looks great on an HD TV. It mm -hmm. looks absolutely fabulous on a 1080p Blu-ray. So I mean, just just check it out. It's, it, look, it's a small investment, but you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I guarantee you that one of my daughter's first exposures to the character will be this will be this cartoon. Good, because if it was Ultimate Spider-Man, I would file for child abuse. <laughs> Kristen's not here, I had to say it. So. Uh, the views of Greg Mashansky do not reflect the views. <laughs> Actually, I think they do reflect my views, so I seem to recall telling her that the last time. Yeah, so. Anyway, um, that wraps up this episode of Spectacular Radio. Any final thoughts from you gentlemen? Well, Jordan, it makes me feel better a very long time before we see the Green Goblin again. Yep. Yes, that's nice. Um... I'm trying to remember... Okay, from here on out, we've got a Black Cat episode, and then we start transitioning to the Venom stuff, right? We have we also have the Sinister Six after Black Cat. Oh, yes. well, that's also part of the... Kind of part of the Venom arc, though, because he's in the Black Suit, right? Yes. But that's a very solid episode, which we'll talk about eventually. We'll get there soon. Mm-hmm. Because I'm just trying to pace out, because this is episode nine. That means there are four episodes left in this season. Yeah, we're, almost, we're more than halfway through. We're almost at the end of season one. Yep. The end is nigh. The end is nigh. So I would like to thank everybody for listening. It's been fun, and I hope you guys have a good time listening to us and our controversial, controversial opinions. Yeah, and don't forget, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to be a part of the show, send us an email. It's spectacularradio at gmail dot com. Send us an email. It's been a while. Yeah, we need we need some emails to read on the show. So you, yeah, you, you listening right now? Go to your little Gmail account or email client. Type in SpectacularRadio at gmail.com and stay high. Let's hope you stay more than just high. Anyway, with that, I'm Zach Jordan, the webmaster of Spidey-Dude.com. This has been another production of Spectacular Radio, powered by the Spidey-Dude.com radio network.
keep laughing, Kermit. I hear green's the new black and blue.